Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. We spent a week talking about the idea that sometimes we may have a calling in our life, but we're impatient, right? We want it, we want it now. We want to see that calling exacted the way we want to see it in our time, and so we try to put it in our hands. And what happens? We make a big mess, right? We have a big, giant mess that we have made for ourselves. And then we go and have the audacity to blame God. So after 40 years of living a life of luxury, Moses goes and lives 40 years in what's essentially abject poverty. He goes and becomes a shepherd. He is a manual laborer. And what's interesting is we talked a little bit about the idea of a shepherd. In the Egyptians' eyes, the shepherd was the lowest of manual laborers. It would be like a portichon cleaner. Like that would be how we would, I mean, he's got the worst job, you know what I mean? Um, and so Moses spends the next 40 years just working as a shepherd, has a family, and he becomes an out, from an outlaw, he becomes a recluse, and he just, he lives out in the wilderness. And that's what his life looks like it would be. Let's be honest, all of us who anticipate, man, if we're lucky enough to make it to 80, I feel like at 80, we're not thinking about what's the next 40 years looking like, you know? Um, I'm actually closing in on my 40th year this year, and I'm like, all right, 40 more. I could do 40 more. But I'm not sure that third 40 is coming, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't know if I want to make it to 120. Um, I just don't. And I don't think Moses was thinking that way. I don't think any of us would think that way. But in the midst of all that was happening in Moses' life, there were three things that were consistent and that would continue to be consistent in the last third of his life. One is that God is good. That no matter what our situation is, no matter what we've done, God is still good. It's so easy for us to turn our eyes from God in the midst of our circumstances. It's so easy to praise God when things are going well, and it is so hard to do so when things aren't. The second thing is that God is amazing. Moses' life, even just his, his survival at birth, is absolutely, phenomenally amazing. Not the amazing that we use, like the word awesome, like, oh, that was awesome. Like, not like that. I mean from the sense of God does amazing things, things that only God can take credit for. That's what God does. And we serve a God who does that. This isn't just some offhanded good idea that makes us feel good about ourselves. This is a powerful being created everything we can think about. The last is that God is faithful. God doesn't forget us. And this is key when we are stuck in wildernesses. Because let's be honest, if, if, if I'm Moses and I'm spending 40 years tending to sheep, I'm thinking I'm forgotten. I'm just being honest. 40 years is a long time. I'm shepherding. I'm thinking, all right, this is what God intended for my life. God did not mean for me to do much more than didn't care for these poor, dumb animals. And that's okay, right? Like God, but God is faithful. God does not forget. He does not forsake. My favorite thing that I saw in my years in Cuba was going up to the top part, and Jacob might remember this. There's a tiny piece of wood, and there's beautiful things there. But of all the things, this piece of wood stood out to me, and it said, no faltara. And I was like, man, what does that mean? That sounds like it's like a really fancy statement. It just says, no falter, that Christ does not falter. That's what it stood for. And I was like, man, that is so cool. Christ doesn't 
falter. That, that idea that Christ doesn't change, God doesn't change, he doesn't shake, he doesn't get moved, he does as he is. He will be and will forever be the same. And so we can trust in that. Now today we're going to turn our eyes to the story of preparation and calling in Moses' life. And as we do that, I think it's important, we have to reflect on God's work and preparation in our own life. That's what this is for. That's what the application is. We aren't Moses, so if you think you're Moses, you're not. You're probably more like the rest of the Israelites. You're going to be complaining here in any minute now. Okay, so don't, don't think that. But God works the same way, and we need to take that, embed it in our lives, hold on to that. We're going to be in Exodus 3, and we're going to start at verse 10. For those who were paying attention last week, yes, we read verse 10 already. We're going to read it again. So this passage starts out, and the reason we went back to 10, I think, was important. So we started back at 10 because there's an amazing calling in this. And I'm always fascinated by God's desire to use people. I want to take you back to verse 10 real quick. It says, therefore, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Very direct. I wish God's calling on our lives was quite so simple, right? Like, hey, here's exactly what I want you to do. But I am fascinated that God would use us. Um, it amazes me how God can use a bunch of crooked sticks to draw a straight line. Isn't that fascinating? Um, and if we're honest, that first calling is so scary. It's so scary. I spent a lot of time trying to study discipleship, and there's a guy out there called Pete Cassaro, and, um, and he has this theory, which I think is really solid. It's not just his. He's, he worked with some other people. But it's this idea that <coughs> in our walk um, with the Lord, we all start off, right, um, with, with repentance, belief, and a desire to follow God, right? And then there's some area of growth that happens, that warm, fuzzy time where God's just, like, we're just overwhelmed. God's goodness, his grace. Um, and then from there, we begin serving, right? Like the, most places we want to serve people. Maybe it's serving in a mission field. Maybe serving at a church. But we start serving. We inundate ourselves into a community and begin serving God's people and with God's people. And then from there, there's the beginning and an understanding of, oh, well, now that I've been serving a while, what's the next step? Well, the next step's leadership, right? And right about that time is when most believers hit, he calls it a wall, I call it a wilderness. It's the same thing. It's a place of preparation. We hit this place of preparation. And it's the first real time where what we have been so overwhelmed by, really we have to take a moment and really examine. And I don't know if many of you have done this, but have, if you've ever stood in the chasm that exists between what God sees in us and what we know is actually there, I know I have. I remember the first time that I, I really was realized that maybe God was calling me to something greater than just a normal Sunday attendance. And I remember just being really overwhelmed by like, but God, do you, I mean, you know who I am, right? Like, you know the guy that I am. The struggles that I still deal with, even with your help. Much less the person I used to be. Like, you want that guy? And the problem is, I don't always, we don't see what God sees. We don't, we don't know what God's purpose when he created us was going to be. We know who we are. We know that well, don't we? Paul calls himself the chief sinner, and I would say that's a debate because I feel like I am. But there's an understanding there. Like, I know where my failings are. 
I know that I can't keep to the standard that God is. But yet God still calls us. And I think that's part of the goodness of God. He knows for what purpose we've been made. We spent a little bit of time recently talking about this idea that, you know, sometimes we, we, we get so intent on doing the things of the Lord because we feel like God has to use us. And God could choose not to use us. And in some cases, the way he uses us is very unusual and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily equate well with our logical brain. But God has an intent for which we are designed, we're created. And I think that even if we can't imagine it, it's important to know that God knows us so intimately. One of the verses I was drawn to this week was this verse in Luke, uh, Luke 12, 7, and it says, Indeed, even the hairs in your head are all counted, so don't be afraid. You are worth far more than many sparrows. Now, look, I know some of us, um, that number's a little smaller than others, okay? I get that. I know. Uh, I get it. This freshly shaved head this morning is well aware that God's counting on my head is a little lighter than others. But God's calling in our life is scary. But we have to trust that God knows what we are being called to. And more importantly, it's scary. But it's not the calling of those who are equipped. God is always going to equip those who call. Someone, that was one of the things that they like, beat into our heads as we were going into church planting and being trained. Um, you know, they said, of course you're not equipped. You know? Um, I always looked at it similar to the, what I was hearing as a coach. You know, they always said, you're never going to be ready. Like, there's not a, a right time. Um, so if you wait till you're ready, you'll wait till forever. And so there's an idea there, though, that what's so remarkable about God's calling is that it is unbelievable, that it is amazing, and it's miraculous. And there's two reasons for this, but the first one I think is the most important one because that's the kind of God we serve. We serve an amazing, miraculous, unbelievable kind of God. The things he does should completely put us in, 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 um, in a mysterious place. Like, I, I don't understand. But that's the kind of God we serve, so why wouldn't we expect any less? The second part is, is because it's not up to us. We have a tendency to think that everything we do is out of our own power. We like to control the situation. We like to work from our strengths. I'm going to be honest with you. One of the hardest things about having done the, the church planning experience is realizing, man, I am not good at some things. Like, I, there are some things I have some gaping flaws in. Now, my, <laughs> my wife could gladly tell you many of them, but there's a reality of even things I thought that I was decent at, turns out I'm not. And most of the time where I find myself being called to are those places where I'm weak at. And I truly believe it's because those are the places where God's glorified the most. I can't take credit. I cannot take credit for those places. So what do we do when we begin experiencing God's calling in our life? Right, what do we do? Most of us start running right toward it, right? Like we just get it, we get on board, and we're, we're, we're pursuing that calling, right? That's, no, none of you guys, me neither. So, I know, like, we should all probably be like that, and most of us aren't. I, I'm not sure if anybody really does that. What do we really do, though? Right, the first thing we probably do is we make, we make, we make some excuses. Right? That's what I did. I was like, eh, you sure? I don't like suits. That was my thing. I'm like, I don't like suits. I can't wear a tie. Have you seen this guy in a tie? No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want that. 
The other ones we hesitate, right? We're like, ooh, I don't, right? It's kind of that moment before you jump off something really big that you're like, I could maybe, like, this sounds like it would hurt. This doesn't feel like a good idea anymore now that I'm up here. Uh, the third is procrastinate, right? Just, just ooh, I'm going to put that off. That'll happen down the road. Like, the longer I can wait, the better this will be, right? And that's exactly what Moses did. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we see the most celebrated person in, in Judaism, one of the, the fathers of the faith, if you will. And that's what he says. Look at this. This is, this is great. Verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, in order for that to make really good sense, I want to take you to a different verse. So I want to take you to verse 4 from the passage we read before. And I'm going to read it to you. It's on the screen. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Now, what's interesting is Moses sees the presence of the Lord in verse 4, and he utters this word, and we'll say it right, chenene. I know. I did it right. I was working on it all weekend, so you should be proud. And it means, here I am. Now, here's what's cool. This word's used two other times, and one of them we, like, celebrate all the time. It's actually my wife's favorite verse. It's in Isaiah, um, and it's fantastic. And the second one is actually in Genesis. I don't know if you know this, but when God calls Abram to take Isaac up the mountain, and he goes, Abram, Abram goes, here I am. So some key critical points. And I've read this story so many times, not once did I even notice that word was there, just being honest. Um, but what we see is that Moses is eager to enter into the presence of the Lord, right? Much like most of us, we're eager to enter into the presence of the Lord. Uh, so much so that in, in Moses' case, God had to remind him. He had to give him a little check and say, whoa, your feet are dirty. Take them shoes off. You know, you're in holy ground. Like, back up. Take a deep breath. But something happens between verse 4 and verse 10, right? Because in verse 10, Moses doesn't seem so eager all of a sudden, does he? In verse 11, he's like, who am I? Oh, you gave me a call, and now I'm, I'm you know, like, I love your presence, not so sure about doing that. But now God's, instead of inviting Moses into just his presence, right? Instead of inviting Moses where he was and just saying, hey, you can be right here and you can be content. You've got a great job. You've got a kid. You've got a wife. You're settled. No responsibilities. No expectations. But then God calls Moses into something unbelievable and Moses becomes afraid. Moses goes from Hanini, which means here I am, to me, Anoche. That's right. Two Greek or two Hebrew words today. You're welcome. And this means who am I? So he goes from here I am to who am I? Now don't get out your hating hats yet, okay? Don't go off judging Moses. One, God doesn't. Look how patient God is. Man, we should be thankful we serve a God so patient. We should be praising God, how patient he is with us. And he's just showing that in abundance with Moses. He says, because if we really reflect on our lives, aren't we more like this? How many places has God called a calling on your life, on mine? And we hesitate. And we go, who am I? All right? 
How many times? Like, man, I, I'm like the worst example ever. Like, you want me to go preach? Me, the guy who gets in trouble walking down the hallway, and I'm the guy that you need to preach. Yeah, right. The guy almost got kicked out of a, a Christian school for just being bad. There wasn't even anything major. Just like in general, they're like, well, you're kind of hard to teach. And what do we do, right? We make excuses. We kind of, we try to ignore it. How many of y'all done that one? Like, I'm going to bury this under all the other things going on in my life. I'm going to get so busy that I can ignore that calling, right? Maybe we hesitate. Like, well, I mean, God, I mean, maybe we can get to it tomorrow. And we let a fear of failure overcome our eagerness for intimacy. I'm going to say that again. We let our fear, fear of failure overcome our eagerness for intimacy. And we get so focused on who we are that we forget who we serve. See, God doesn't judge Moses, and, and he doesn't forsake him. He doesn't blow him off. In fact, God answers him. And this is probably, God answers a lot of people the same way, and I love it. Like, and, and, and this is one of those cases. In verse 12, God responds, I will certainly be with you. He could stop right there. He wouldn't have to say another word. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is going to be with you. God, the creator of the universe and banana pudding, both of those things are good things, okay? You need to know that, okay? But both of those things, the almighty God, the splitter of the seas, the great and mighty smiter, the bringer of the floods, that God is with us and that's the thought that God wants us to live in not the who am I right not the anache not that he doesn't want that I know that little at the end really gets after it not the I can't but the he can that's what he wants us to live in that's what living and following Christ is about that I know oftentimes we, we can get caught in like, what does it mean to follow God? Well, it means in doing this, believing he can. Just like Moses, we get stuck in this idea that we can't do it. And here's the thing. The crazy thing about all that is we're right. We can't. You can't, I can't. None of us can. But God can the great I am can. But just like many of us, Moses wasn't fully convinced. He also knew these people. He knew how stubborn and hard-headed these people were. And that they would have questions. And so he goes, what will I say? And God tells Moses to do two things. God tells Moses first, I am who I am. That is who you are to say to the Israelites. The I am sent me to you. And he continues, and say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Now go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you. And I know what has been done to you in Egypt. 
he continues longer, but we're gonna, we'll pause there. God tells Moses to do two things. He says, first, tell them who I am. Now, he literally uses the word Yahweh, and literally means I am. But he literally said, like, tell them about me, and then tell them what I told you. Tell them my word. We live in a weird time where, like, this is God's word. We've all grown up, or at least some of us, maybe most of us, this is the word of God, right? And we all have versions of this. Maybe we have it on a phone. But God's word is the Bible. It's written down. It has pages, numbers, and chapters, right? That's what we were familiar with. That didn't exist then. God's word came through his prophets, the speakers of his word. Moses happens to be one. And Moses is being told by God, go tell the people what I just told you. Go tell them that I'm going to free them. Go tell them that the God of their ancestors has heard their cries. Tell them that. Now, why is that important to you? Well, it remains the same today. That is the same truth that we should do today. So many of us are worried about what we're going to say, right? When, we, when you hear Mark encouraging people to go tell people about Jesus, when, when you hear me tell you, hey, you have a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody in your life that needs to hear the gospel, and they need it from you, you go, well, what am I going to say, right? Let's be honest. Well, what am I supposed to tell them? You do what, they, what he just told Moses to do. You tell them about who God is in your life. Tell them about the God you know. And then tell them about his word. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. I don't need to create a 12-step program for you to be able to do that. It won't hurt, but you don't have to have it. You can just go to them and say, hey, man, God's been good in my life. He pulled me from all of the things I was struggling with. He gives me a hope on the days I should be hopeless. Man, God's good. I want to tell you about some of these verses I know. Romans 5, 8, right? For even as a sinner, God loved me. And he, died, and he sent his son to die for me, even as a sinner. And you can memorize all the other ones. I'm not going through all of them, mostly because I don't want to embarrass myself and misquote something. But that's what you say. Tell them God's word. Tell them what they need to hear. All of us have a calling in our life to do this. This is so important. This is what makes the gospel so unbelievable. Is that maybe right now you don't have a distinct calling to come up here and preach or to lead worship or to, to serve in some certain capacity. And that's okay. That doesn't make you good or that make you any worse or any better than anybody else. Because we all share the same calling, which is to the ministry of others. Each and every one of us walk out these doors every Sunday at about 1145 I'm being generous. It's probably noon. And you are now missionary for the next six days. That's how your concept should be. That's how your thought process should be. I am now a missionary. For the next six days, I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to interact with people, and I'm going to love them and share about who my God is and talk about his word to them. That's what that means. It's a, it's a simple thing. And it's not like a dramatic thing. Like, it's not something over the top where, like, hey, I've got to go to the beach and, like, run into random strangers and try to convert them. It could be as simple as I'm a stay-at-home mom who raises my kids well and teaches them about God's word and teaches them how to walk in his ways. That's a good calling. Man, that's a good calling. It might be that I go to work and I have a co-worker who's dealing with grief and I just, I, I ask him if I can pray for him and I check in on him every day and I see how he's going. It might be that there's some dude down the hallway who's a complete jerk all the time. And I'm the only person in my whole you know, office that actually talks to him and makes an effort to try to be kind to him. 
Because every day you were a missionary. Then you were not in here, you were a missionary. That is the work, that is the call. And God being God anticipates Moses' next argument, which is, what am I going to do now? So what, what, what am I supposed to do? There's always this place in between every plan. I don't know if you guys experience this. I do. When there's like a big project, I always freeze about 24 hours before I'm about to do it because I'm terrified about all the steps that I'm about to have to take, and they overwhelm me, and I have to sit down and just do a mental checklist to make sure that I got them all right. All right? So there's some hesitation because I'm, I'm like, what, what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to do here? And notice that God tells Moses what he is going to do. And this is important. A lot of times we get stuck with what am I supposed to do? And the reality is we should be focused on, well, what is God going to do in this situation? I want to take you to verse 17. Verse 17 says, I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land of flowing milk and honey. And they will listen to what you say. And then you, along with the elders of the Israels, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord of God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I'm going to skip a verse. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that, he will let you go. Look what God said he was going to do. He said God, God would bring the Israelites up out of their affliction. God would bring them to the land of milk and honey. God would persuade Pharaoh. God would bring about many mighty miracles. God would cause the Israelites to find favor Amongst the Egyptians, God would. Not once in that conversation does it go, Moses, you're going to need to do this. Moses, you're going to have to make a miracle happen. Moses, you're going to have to do this. Moses, you're going to have to bring the Israelites out of here. God said, I would do these things. I will bring them and put them where I want them to be. Do you know what Moses was called to do? to be faithful in that little bit that he's been entrusted with. That's it. Like when we wrestle with our calling, we get caught on the largeness of what it looks like when we don't focus down on the tiny little thing that actually is required in that. And almost every time it's just trusting God, taking a step of faithfulness in the right direction. That's all it is. Is it scary? You Yes, 100%. It should be scary because I know that in my next three steps, I don't know what's going to happen, and I can't control the outcome of that, and I can't do anything over there because that's not, I can't. So I'm having to put my faith in action and trust that God's going to catch me if I fall. He's going to pick me up if I fall down. He's going to restore me on the right path if I step off. That whatever would happen, God will make a way. I want you all to think about this as we lean into some closing time. 80 years. I was thinking about this all week. 80 years of preparation. That's how long Moses waited to be ready, to even be ready to accept his calling. 
and he still wasn't ready. <laughs> 80 years, and he still was hesitating. He still was afraid. Like I think about in those 80 years, like in the first 40, maybe he didn't think about God a whole lot, you know? He was probably busy. They had things to do. He was learning stuff. He was kind of ruling some things maybe. I don't know. But I know that 40 years in a wilderness will really let you have some time to think. And I wonder, like, what did he think about? Like, did, was it a situation like David where, like, bears and lions would come up and he was, like, smoking them with something, you know? I don't know. But I do know that God said it was going to take 80 years for Moses to get ready. And then Moses comes to the point where God is in front of him and he's in his presence and he's still like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. And he still knew that he wasn't ready. Moses still knew that he wasn't ready. He still knew that he couldn't free Israel. And you know why he knew? Because he already had tried. He had tried. But now God was going to ask him to do it in his timing and in his way. And Moses understood that he had no control in that. None whatsoever. Most of us in this room aren't any better, right? Let's be honest. I mean, how many times have you complained to God? How many times have I complained to God about not answering a prayer? Not moving fast enough. Not providing right now, right now what I needed today. How many times? I mean, I can think about it just like a couple days ago probably for me. How many times have you experienced a calling on your life? How many of you are dealing with a calling right now in your life? And you're procrastinating. Maybe you're even trying to ignore it. Maybe you're trying to bury it under the sand so you don't have to look at it. Or making those same extent, you know, excuses that Moses was making. Who am I? I'm not good enough. Who am I? I'm not gifted enough. Who am I? I it's not good timing, right? But last I checked, God didn't ask you to be good enough, gifted enough, or if the timing was right. God asks you to be faithful. Because God is good enough. Right? God is gifted. God's timing is right. And we must not forget that God is the one who is doing the calling, not us. We don't get to call people. Like, I can't just point my finger out here and go, some of you guys are going to be preachers now, and, and, it, and it work out. And just as God was with Moses, he still is. He's the great I am. He is still with us. As I get ready to close today, I want to point you to a passage that I think should encourage us. As Christ is getting ready to, to ascend into the heavens, and he's giving his last speech, right? The most important things. He's saying the last most important things he could say to somebody because it's the last time they're going to see him, right? Kind of like, I love you, all right? And then he goes, hey, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Boy, that sounds real similar, don't it? Because we just heard God say, hey, I'm with you. I, I am surely with you. Man, that's good to know. Man, that should encourage us. Man, that should excite us. Because now when God calls us, we don't have to go, well, I ain't good enough. We can go, man, I serve a great God. Look what he wants to do. Man, I serve a great God. Look how he's going to move. And part of our walk in, in trying to understand this and our maturity of faith is understanding God is going to call us 
to some very uncomfortable things because God needs to work not only in us but in those uncomfortable places. And our growth depends on that. And it's not in our timing. I wish I could tell you that, hey, man, like there, in six months you're going to be ready. It might take 40 years. I heard the funniest thing the other day at the baptism. Someone told me, said, hey, they were talking about, you know, when you're going to get baptized. And he looked at and as a matter of fact, John told him this joke. So I want to give him credit. But he goes, man, Jesus was 30 when he got baptized. And I was like, hey, hey, you know, that's a good point. We get in a rush. We live in a society all about getting it done now, right? We want our news now. We want all that information now. I need to know how to make this recipe right now. We want it all now. And God's like, whoa, no, 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 not on your time, my time. You might need 40 years. You might need 80 years. You might need 80 years of preparation. Are you ready to put that kind of work in? Are you ready to wait like that? But guess what? No matter what, I am with you. The I am is with you. He is with me. He empowers us and enables us to go do the things he's called us to. Some of you may be wondering, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> and that's the reality, right? Maybe you don't have that confidence. Maybe you don't have that relationship. Maybe you haven't been into that in intimate place yet. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to think about that relationship. What kind of relationship do you have with Christ? Like if you stood at that burning bush, if you will, have you invited not only Christ in your life as a Savior, but also as the Lord of your life? And this is a big difference. Like, most people want to be saved. Like, none of us want to go to hell. But the question is, is do we want to walk through hell to get to Christ? Will we be willing to do that? Will we be willing to be able to live through a hard life of waiting and shepherding for 40 years to pursue after what he's called us to? So maybe that's where you are. And I want to encourage you. It's a prayer away. It's a decision away. But it doesn't come lightly. Count those costs. Count the costs. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week. Thank you.